This week on Sound Sausage, Jesse Brown talks to us about media criticism, professional podcasting, and his show, Canada Land. You're listening to Sound Sausage. I just wanted to add one thing. You know, we can um, really break down that fourth wall and Let's let people know put a pin what in goes that. into making radio. <laughs> I'm so not used to doing this live. Is there anything about you it? want us to listen for specifically? Lightning strikes. Lightning strikes. <laughs> Inspiration. <laughs> oh, <it was> lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Sausage is getting made right now. <laughs> Welcome to Sound Sausage, a show about audio storytelling. It's for producers or anyone else who loves radio and wants to understand how the sausage gets made. After years of producing shows for CBC Radio and TVO, Jesse Brown has turned his unique voice, sense of humor, and journalism chops to independent podcasting. His show, Canada Land, takes a critical look at the Canadian media industry and explores other topics through long-form interviews. Despite Jesse's public radio background, he's embraced the aesthetics of podcasting. His show is loose and fun. Here's the opening from the very first episode of Canada Land, where Jesse interviews his old boss, Michael Enright. So what are we doing? Uh, it's a podcast. It's uh, kind of like your radio show, except people listen to it on purpose. Okay, good. You put on weight. We spoke to Jesse in the tiny recording booth at his office in Toronto. Hello, welcome to Sound Sausage. I'm Sean Rasmussen. I'm JP Davidson, and we're here talking to Jesse Brown today about his show, Canada Land. Hey guys, good to be here. One of the things that I was thinking about before meeting you was the idea of self-censorship. How much does that play a role in the way you think about your show and also to the participants on your show? It's a huge factor. It's a huge factor in kind of why I, you know, this wasn't something that I, it occurred to me a month before I did it. It was sort of teeming for years, like things would happen. And I would say, why did, why did, did, did no one say anything about that? You know, why did that not get spoken about? And I had to ask myself, well, why haven't I said anything about it? And there's a, a palpable fear of consequence for real talk. Mm -hmm. If you say something critical about any, and it's not even just about, you know, if I say something negative about the, the CBC, will I not get hired by the CBC? There is, I think, a feeling of like, if I am known as a person who says negative things about any news organization, then future employers will know that I'm a liability, somebody who uh, is a loose cannon and, and who doesn't know, you know, to serve my master properly. And there's all kinds of self-censorship. There's self-censorship about uh, about that. There's self-censorship in terms of journalists who are covering politicians in a time in Canada when we've never had more of a tightly controlled uh, federal government when it comes to information. And uh, there's a sense of retribution that if you step outside of the the boundaries and you ask the wrong questions, you will not be allowed to cover the politics. You'll, you, you know, you'll lose access. So all around... You know, it, it's a it's a fearful time. You know, the, the the job loss that we're seeing here is not unique to Canada. It's happening all around the world. What is unique is that it's not being replaced with anything. Mm -hmm. And you have this kind of proliferation of punchy and aggressive and fun and funny uh, websites and, you know, startups and blogs in the States uh, that have given a voice to all of this stuff. Yeah. That there's a place for that to, to go. And we don't have independent media in Canada, really. And, and anybody who has anything to say about this stuff. I mean, I, I was talking with somebody uh, the other night who's a CBCer. And, you know, uh, they were frustrated as I was frustrated when I worked there about how everybody has an opinion about what the CBC should do. 
everybody, you know, as soon as anything happens, you know, there's uh, there's layoffs or there's some kind of controversy or they lose hockey and all the pundits come out of the woodwork and everybody, you know, um, says, OK, well, the CBC should go private or the CBC should go PBS style. And CBCers are always very frustrated because their voices aren't being heard. And my question was, well, who's stopping you? I mean, it's true. The most informed opinions about what the CBC should – if you want to hear a great vision for what the CBC should and could be, ask a CBCer and they're very passionate about it. But they won't voice those opinions on the CBC because mm-hmm. there's sort of an internal policy that we, we don't talk about ourselves or advocate for ourselves on the air. And they're kind of not allowed uh, to do so outside of the CBC. So it's a conversation that's had between everybody but CBCers. I mean, it's it's absurd. <laughs> and then there's the complaint: Well, how come our voices aren't being heard? Or, or among CBCers, but in in hushed bars and 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 things like that. Just that's pri- it. It's over beers, it's over coffee. It's it's uh, yeah. it's you know they they have one of the largest uh, news networks in the country, if not the largest, I'm not sure. And they're they're not a part of that conversation. So and it's you know I know that that's equally true to you know and in, in in private media in Canada, um, people are afraid. Before we get too much further into into sort of the the big issues, maybe we should talk a bit about Canada Land and and what it is. And and I mean, you've you've already sort of described it briefly. But are there any particular people you've talked to, or episodes, or or things that that hit the nail on the head in terms of what you're trying to do with the show? I think so. Um, I, I've I've been really I, I've been excited to make it and, and it's one of those things where you have a bunch of ideas and like will they play out will they be affirmed both in the interviews and in the audience reception and the first episode where you know my old boss Michael Enright was good enough to come on the show and sort of subject himself to you know uh, a somewhat uh, you know lubricated and you know um, unchained conversation um, I was incredibly nervous about that conversation and I I, I knew uh, first of all, I was interviewing one of the best interviewers in the world, I think, right. and uh, some it, it, it had to, it did not have to, and none of my interviews have to expose dirt, and and that's something that I, I find myself trying to convince you know guests of all the time, but they do have to be real and they do have to be candid, and I don't want you know um, rehearsed or or canned you know talking points, and I knew that. In demanding that of Michael and trying to kind of pull that from him and also trying to get personal with him. I mean, part of the mandate is I I just I don't like the false way things sound a lot of the time. I want to have conversations that sound like conversations that people have. And that cuts both ways. I'm sorry if I got you into this, because obviously um, you've turned into a uh, bitter young man. (laughs) Fight is struggling with um, demons that the rest of us can only marvel at. <laughs> I can't be put off this. Uh, I could be shown the door, and, and I'll still find a way to do it. Your problem is you've stopped writing. You have stopped writing. I knew when I left feeling like I had been like, you know, my clothes had been ripped off of me. And, you know, and like that kind of feeling you have like, I could probably fix this in editing. Uh but I probably shouldn't, <laughs> you know. And my wife was like, "Good, you did what you needed." Like it's, and that there was a sense of like, okay, that was the first step, and that needed to happen. And you know, aside from things that have to do with me, there there have been moments where I've had people come on the show, like uh, like Matt Watts, who's um, actor and writer for Michael Tuesdays and Thursdays, who just was ready to name some names and talk about things that aren't fair and aren't right 
in uh, Canadian scripted so, television. Michael, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yes. Okay. Let's go back there. That was you. <laughs> yeah. That was Mike, me. you were Michael. I was. Yeah. People dug that show. They seem to. When pe- the people who saw it or a- and heard about it seemed to like it, yeah. There weren't enough of them. No, there were not nearly enough of them. What does that mean? Like, what is enough in Canada? What are the what's what's a good number in Canada? Oh, what's God. a bad? I number? I don't know. Well, Sturzberg implemented that million viewer benchmark, which the CBC hasn't hit in a while. But that's sort of everyone sort of says a million is a hit. But, yeah, um, for a Canadian main show. For a Canadian main show, American shows routinely pass that in Canada. Oh, absolutely. I think. Uh, Big Bang Theory pulls in like 3.8 uh-huh. or something like that. So if a quarter of the Canadians who watch an American sitcom will watch a Canadian-made show, that's a big hit. Yeah. You know, a show like, uh, oh, what was that show that was on recently? Satisfaction. That was doing all right. I think that was in, hovering around the 400,000 mark. Okay. And that that's that sort of seems to be like a, a enough to keep it on the air. That's respectable. It's a respectable number. Five yeah. is five is kind of that. Five is respectable. If you hover around five, then you're you're safe. I think. Uh-huh. But are the rules the same outside of the CBC as inside the CBC? Because the CBC has this, if it's a... We had a conversation that, like, had it been in any other format, that's what it would have looked like as a bitter, you know, fired guy. And he came off as eminently reasonable, and I I felt. And I think similarly, like, yes, he has skin in the game, but he also wants his profession, his industry, to be more equitable and just and transparent. And he has information about how it's not so. And it's not right that the burden should be that, like, I know all this stuff, but I'm not allowed to say so. I'm not allowed to voice it because then I'll be blacklisted. And he had had enough and was ready to talk about it and sort of, you know, in a way that's not dissimilar to what I'm doing, saying, I'm not uh, naive. I know that this might have repercussions and people might not want to work with me because I'm doing this. But that is wrong. People should – there's no reason to write me off for just speaking these truths and they're not coming from a place of pure bitterness and and somebody should talk about this stuff. And if that's the case, I'm, I'm prepared to deal with the consequences. And um, he did that on my program. I was just like felt proud that, that, that I had provided a venue and that he took me up on that. And, you know, that was like I think the first episode where – it was just kind of getting passed around and people in that industry were like, you have to hear this. And, you know, the truth is a wonderful thing. Like it, it you break the dam on a forbidden topic and all of a sudden people feel, oh, oh, it's okay. I can talk about that. And Facebook conversations and Twitter conversations followed. And, you know, it, it's just so healthy and it speaks to the kind of, you know, the core purpose of doing this work, you know. Uh, and not just my – I mean, I think anybody who is committing – you know, journalism in any in any kind of form, or just I, I don't even know what that term means. But just if, if you're having conversations, you know, conversations with people about real things, it's that's why you're doing it. You know, I think in a, in a basic level. Can we talk a bit about, I guess, the 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 origins of the show? And I mean, what goes into what goes into designing a project like this? And and what kind of decisions uh, did you make? I guess before launching episode one. I mean, I kind of wanted to get paid for it. Uh, was one decision. Both because I want to get paid for it and because I think that to this kind of question – and I was sort of riddled with self-doubt about it and, and, um, you know, how would I appear and will this just appear like some angry exercise and and, uh, uh, I I think that – it's how I felt when I was 18 and I launched a student newspaper, you know, because I I couldn't get the stuff that I wanted into my official high school newspaper. I I wouldn't let this be my mommy and daddy gave me money to – 
publish a newspaper. And so I went and got advertising from local businesses and it was a self-sustaining business from the start. Um, and so I was determined that this was would have to be, you know, um, like a self-sustaining effort, which so far it is. And uh, I, I first said, you know, r- rather than just sort of assuming that this won't be done by any of the actual news organizations, let's let's ask them. And uh, the first phase was actually pitching a different version of Canada Land uh, to, I think, most of the newspapers and news organizations in, in, in the country, which was a long, protracted process because I didn't get no's. I got very hearty uh, interest, enthusiastic interest from uh, a lot of editors and producers, um, in, up to and including you know, CBC News Network, uh, the guy who was running it at the time, telling me, let's make a pilot. Like, we need this. You're right. Let's make a pilot. And every time I went to a news organization and, and um, pitched the show, I said, now, of course, obviously, we're going to have to look at this news organization with the same scrutiny that we criticize and discuss everyone else. Right. And of course, oh, yeah, of course, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. And then we would get to the point of like putting a more detailed proposal together and sample story ideas. And I just knew that there needed to be foundational documents that, you know, if it, if I was lucky enough to make a show or, or do a column with some other organization, the day would come when some executive would come, you know, batting down our door and saying, how dare you print this about your own colleagues here? And I would have to have a foundational document to turn to and say, if you look at the mandate of what you hired me to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I was very explicit about that, which might have had something to do with the fact that I didn't get past that point with anybody. Hmm. And, um, you know, you end up into this kind of uh, – and nobody wants to be on the record of, of saying, you know, no, we refuse to scrutinize ourselves here at uh, Newspaper X. Yeah. So you just don't get an answer. So it was, you know, months and months of trying to kind of like push the ball forward and, and, and get to some conclusion. And, um, you know, when finally – I mean, you know, the last one was the CBC where it looked like after all this effort, somebody was like, let's make a pilot. And then it just sort of got – actually, we're going to need to talk to this executive first and – and then that executive was chilly about it. And then the guy who wanted to make a pilot got shuffled off somewhere else. And I'm like, all right, all right. I, I, I've been there. I know what happens there. This isn't going anywhere. And, um, and so I th- said, you know what? It's not a good enough reason to not do this, that I can't do it with any of these um, mainstream news organizations. And I flirted with the idea. It really, things happen much after. It's one of those things where you you kind of like things happen so slowly, and you're not getting anywhere. And then things happen very quickly, because I I, I said to myself like I'm going to try to find a sponsor for this. I'm going to and and I almost just like you know I, I I met with somebody who gave me some advice and pointed me towards FreshBooks. And then I was like, oh, I, I guess now that he said that, I got to call FreshBooks. And then when FreshBooks took the meeting, I had to put together the proposal. And then, you know, like as these things happen, you're like, and then before I know it, I was in there talking to the CEO of FreshBooks. And he's like, let's do it. So uh, and then I was like, oh, damn, I got to make a show now. <laughs> so in short order, I went from kind of, you know, this is never going to happen to I got to get a move on and build a website. And I got to figure out what the show is going to be and who's going to be on it and, and the whole process. I think I think a lot of our listeners are probably really interested in um in, in sort of pro podcasting and, you know, professional in that you get paid for it um, and, and what, you know, what the opportunities are in terms of that. I mean, I guess what what goes into pitching a company that's never sponsored a podcast, as far as I know, uh, and, and convincing them that this is a good idea, that this is going to be worth their while. Yeah. That you're going to make them look good. Um, 
I think that it's going to be hard to give universal um, advice for this because what is happening in the states, because there are a number of you know sustainable professional podcasts, is that there is a bit of an industry norm, like you know industry norms are forming where what you charge per thousand listeners and what kind of you know how long should the placement be and is it the host who does the placement and is it an affiliate program where you tell people go to the website and enter in a code and that way you know who's who's listening to the podcast and who isn't that that is all getting turned into a business in the States that is very helpful for podcasters because they can know, okay, I'm going to do this out of my basement for fun until I reach number X, and number X means I can quit my day job. Um, That doesn't exist here. Uh, To my knowledge, I'm the only person who does this for their day job. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I I, I haven't found anyone else doing it. I I hope that there are other people doing it. I hope that more will. So my, my, you know, what I was able to achieve in, in my partnership with FreshBooks was not based on uh, I'm going to deliver you this many listeners and you're going to, you know, what what that conversation was about was I, and, and maybe this is the advice you're asking me, is I specifically targeted a company that had values uh, that I thought were consistent with my project and that had a customer base, you know, and a desired customer base that was had large overlap with who I imagined I would be getting. And it's worth saying that I had, you know, uh, a pre-existing, you know, relationship of sorts. The CEO knew me from, from you know, he, uh, Mike McDermott used to, um, he was a co-founder of the Mesh Festival, uh, a tech conference here in Toronto. And I, I had done some work with them and um, had done some moderating and hosting there. And, um, you know, and... Uh, so it wasn't a totally cold call. It wasn't a totally of, cold yeah. call. So that I'm sure helped quite a bit. But... I was telling a story that my and I was promising a product that would tell a story that was consistent with and here was a company I, I guess this is good advice is if you're just dealing with kind of people who are like I I want to buy your ears you know I want to buy li- listeners from you um, you're gonna have a harder time than you know FreshBooks is uh, very committed to Canada and to building a progressive uh, tech sector and startup culture in Canada in Canadian innovation. Uh, they're very interested in kind of charting a new path away from legacy companies in Canada. They're looking for individual customers who are graphic designers and computer programmers and self-employed journalists and writers and lawyers. Young, smart, tech savvy, yeah. the kind of people who listen to podcasts. So, so that's right. So there was a business case for them. And there was also, I think, a corporate ethics case in, you know, we want to be associated with certain kinds of things. And we know that these things are important to, the, to our customers and they're important to us. So this is a good, you know, a good a project where they don't have to necessarily be like, well, sorry, you didn't, you know, like the, the, the numbers are 10 short of what we had hoped. Um, that being said... I would I would I would encourage people who are considering you know trying to find a sponsor and uh, to think about this as well and this is something that I'm still working on um, don't think of yourself as a like pathetic charity case <laughs> who's like oh my god thank you thank you I'm so lucky for your largess uh, corporate sponsor podcast advertising is awesome advertising um, if you want to just go and buy a bunch of eyeballs on the web, you can get onto any number of ad networks and it's incredibly cheap to throw a banner ad up on Facebook or on Google AdWords and get hundreds of thousands of people to see uh, or at least to be on the same screen as where their eyeballs are. I cannot name you 
the advertisers on Facebook. I cannot name, I go to the same websites every day. I don't know who advertises on those pages. I know every sponsor of the podcast that I listen to, <laughs> right. right? It's a completely different value proposition. And we podcasters have something of value and we need to place value, you know, and, and, and make the case and convince people. It's absolutely true that people spend 30, 40 minutes with me a week, right? right? And they get the message of the sponsor delivered from me. And because it's a sponsor who's, whose product I actually use and like, I am a decent salesman of that product. And everybody who listens to Canada Land knows that FreshBooks is the sponsor of Canada Land and feels, I hope, uh, warm, fuzzy feelings towards FreshBooks because of that. They know that the podcast uh, wouldn't have existed in the first place you know, with, without FreshBooks. And that's... Uh, that's something that I think is of great value to my sponsor, and that's you know that, that that's what I'm providing them. And, and you've got to, I think, uh, go forth in, into finding your partners with that in mind. That you have something really valuable and wonderful, and, and uh, you know whatever your numbers are, those people um, could be listening to anything, right. and they're choosing to listen to you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought that it was it's really it's really almost more of a branding exercise than a I'm going to sell you this many. Uh, years, yeah. Um, because uh, I mean, the the numbers that I've seen for sort of like per thousand audience members is like seventeen dollars for a thousand. You know, yeah. For for pod, you know, for this this like adamandeve.com type stuff, right? Um, and uh, and and so I'm sure you don't want to get into numbers, but uh, is it is is it a sort of Per episode situation, is it tied to audience? Can you talk about any of that? Well, you know, I, as I say on the show, FreshBooks is the exclusive sponsor of Canada Land. So they're, they are the only sponsor of every audio podcast. They're the only sponsor of the videos. They're the only sponsor on the website. Um, I think that what you say is absolutely true. $17 CPM in the online display advertising world is actually a very good CPM. But there's no way unless you're really reaching a critical mass uh, podcast listeners, are you going to be able to sustain one person's living uh, off of that? You know, well, and nobody <clears throat> nobody looks at a banner ad for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so even though it's it's a it's a nice juicy CPM, no, uh, it, it, you're going to need to come up with a partnership where uh, you know, and, and that is a very different. Uh, you know, the fact that they're getting to brand my show is is uh, has value beyond the fact that I mention them on each audio podcast. So, um, I, you know, it, it's a creative uh, marketing um, partnership for, for them. It, I think it probably comes out of a different budget or, or is thought of and dealt with internally. I don't know much about this. Differently than other ad buys they do. Um, and podcasters should know that they, they have a unique and rarefied product. And most companies have different types of advertising and marketing they do. So uh, podcasters are not going to be able to go and slug it out with uh, all of the uh, ad networks of the world and a lot of those kind of Adam and Eve kind of things that are available to podcasters are going to be barely, you know, covering your, your monthly, you know, web hosting um, fees. <laughs> right, right. So you, you got to be creative and, and, and find, uh, you know, if you're going to do it this way, you know, and there's lots of other ways to do it and there's, you know, audience support, there's, there's different models are being, are being built. But, um, you know, from my limited experience with this one sponsor, uh, it was the first person I went to, the first company I went to, and I went to them specifically because they most embodied, you know, they seemed most in line with what I'm talking about. They're like, you know, who would be the perfect sponsor for this? Let's talk to them. And that worked out. Right. One of the things that I have been thinking about your show is that it's it's sort of perfect as a podcast in the new kind of distribution medium, you know? And I wondered if you had thoughts about the emerging 
thing that's called podcasting or whatever it is, like distribution in that different way, what you think about that and about how it affects the industry and how and, and where it's going and that kind of thing. Well, I love podcasting and I, I wouldn't be in radio without it. I, I, um, I got into radio when I was working on an animated film and somebody alerted me to the existence of This American Life. I was not a kid who grew up with CBC Radio on in my house all the time. Um, I didn't like commercial radio and I, w- I didn't have much exposure to CBC Radio. But um, when I was spending three years making one story happen with animation, I was amazed at This American Life's ability to make, make these audio movies, which were lush and just as detailed as any other movie. And, and you know, because at the time, you know, there's been a real renaissance of reality-based storytelling since at the time, uh, you know, it, it was like kind of revolutionary to me, like that you could make these incredibly compelling stories that were painted from real life. And... Um, it just felt like such an efficient way to, to, to tell stories. You know, little did I know how many months go into each radio documentary, but it's certainly more efficient than uh, than animation. And you know, at the time, it was before I knew the term podcasting. I think I was listening in like a flash player, like they had. Uh, I don't know. You could listen to This American Life online. It was a different way of listening to radio. And since then, you know, it ebbed and flowed and, and podcasting, there was a point where people were saying, oh, it was supposed to be the next blog, but it, it, it isn't and, and podcasts are on the wane and now they're way up again and they're, you know, this alternative format of, of, of delivery for radio that uh, is appealing to a new generation, I think. Um, I don't hear anything on the dial that is sort of to my sensibilities, um, but, I, but a lot of podcasts are and I think it's an alternate, you know, avenue um, that is, you know, reaching millions and millions of people in terms of the, the, the overall market for, for podcasts. Um, what I think is going to be crucial in the years ahead is getting towards an easy way to listen to it in a car. Mm-hmm, yeah. Which is like one of the main reasons why FM radio is so resilient and um, is pulling better numbers than it ever has. Um, it's still the easiest way to listen to stuff in your car. And there's lots of ways of listening to podcasts in your car, but there's probably too many ways. And they are, it's still in kind of podcast geek territory. Um, I'm waiting for the kind of killer app where I say, here are my favorite four podcasts, but I still want to hear the news. And I don't want to hear this guy when he's on CBC, but I do want to hear that host. And just make it so. And and here's the three shows that I absolutely do not want to miss. And here's the kind of music that I like. And here's the shows that I could take or leave, but I'm happy, you know. And then I want an automatic radio station that with a push of a button in my car, you know, is on when I'm in my car. Mm-hmm. And I think that that will is, – is, is a little thing that is technologically quite possible given today's technology that would have a really, really big impact on podcasting. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like what you uh, what you said to to Michael Enright in your first episode. It, it's sort of like your show, but people listen on purpose. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and that's 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 both a, a great benefit because you have this audience that w- is seeking out what you want, yeah. but they also have to seek out what what you're producing and and uh, yeah, and that's a detriment. You as know, well. and it, it's true that like in trying to popularize Canada Land. Um, it does not benefit from the usual, you know, network dynamics of social media uh, when you're like, oh, I've got a great show this week. And like within an hour, if it's a three minute video or a blog post, 
it could go from somebody's blog in their home to having a million views if you've got really hot stuff that everybody needs to check out. Uh, a podcast, it's like, oh, there's this crazy stuff happened on Canada Land this week. You've got to check it out. You're not going to instantly get a million people listening to a 30-minute podcast. Right. And so you get into things like, do we, do we do a transcription? Do we write it up as a blog post? Um, and, and, and then if you do, you're dealing with like, okay, for every thousand people who checked out that one thing, do you get like one new subscription out of that? Of, you know? um, so the growth of a podcast to me seems like an organic peer-to-peer word-of-mouth thing where each week, uh, on the one hand, you've got this incredibly loyal listenership if you're doing things well. I think, you know, people come back again and again and like it's a wonderful thing. And I've realized that there's even some podcasts I won't name that I'm listening to just purely out of habit that they stopped being good a while ago, but I just like they become part of my routine. And I just right. like, you know, it's sort of like a friend who you like, you know, spend time with each week. You're not going to judge me like, you know what? He hasn't been that entertaining this year. I'm getting rid of him. You know, yeah. you just kind of do it out of habit, you know, and he still um, shows up every week on Wednesday. That's and- <laughs> right. So, you know, like it's, it's more effort to get rid of him. Then. Um, so I, I, I hope not to be that friend, but, but yeah, like if you can get a listener, there's a good chance you'll keep that listener and there's a decent chance he'll tell a friend at some point about it and your audience will slowly grow. But that kind of like explosive sudden growth that like lands, you know, um, news sites and blogs, you know, like from nowhere to being like, wow, everybody's got to check this out uh, is much harder to affect. So the like you say, discovery is the big challenge with, uh, you know, and we're talking about something that everybody in the Canadian media knows that I'm doing this. That might be grandiose. A lot of people in the Canadian media know that I'm doing this. Uh, a lot of them will mention it on Twitter or converse with me on Twitter about it. Uh, nobody has written about this. Canada Land, do a Google News search. And uh, I think there is a Huffington Post uh, picked up the, the Globe and Mail video. And uh, I think that's it. Yeah. This magazine, I think, did something. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Like, right. it's that same thing as when the star, you know, uh, had to somehow recognize that Gawker had had, and they, they, they you know had broken the Rob Ford thing first, and they said you know American blog, American <laughs> website reports, right. you know <laughs> like la 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 la, we are the only news source <laughs> yeah. in the universe, la la la, you know, um, I, I think there's a bit of that, and there's just a bit of um, you know, uh, it, it, it's still, and maybe this is to the show's benefit in some way, but I think it's still kind of radioactive. Did you specifically cultivate the? the the podcast aesthetic like the the idea of you know a natural conversation where there's there's swearing you're maybe having a drink um it's like it's purposefully not polished in certain ways yeah i mean you know there's a part of it that is just um I don't want to sound pretentious, but like the the craft of making radio and the poetry of it, of what you know, like you, you you've got your tape and you decide what you're going to do with it, and you you can make it slick or or you can let the uh, the rough edges show, and it felt right, you know, when I was you know editing and producing that that, that episode, that episode, and like yeah, this feels right, and and you know making decisions about music and about how to present things and letting the banter as people approach the room, and you know like that all felt like the show. Um, there were decisions that were made prior to that. Um, you know, like if, if the idea is that the best conversations about media and the best conversations about Canada happen over drinks and don't happen in public, then we should have drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so that felt like a natural decision. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, you know, to get back to what I was saying earlier, there's a, a certain amount of premeditation, and I'm as obsessive a radio producer as anybody else about how do I want this to go? This interview's coming up. How can I make it what I want? And And yet there is a necessity to let go, especially if what you're going for is, you know, 
veracity and uh, candid conversation, you have to be willing to let weird shit happen and f- to be challenged and to go off script. So part of that was just natural to what I was doing. Part of it was premeditated and part of it was like um, allowing myself to get exposed and al- allowing, you know, a friend of mine said to me like, you know, um, the traditional TV anchor is dead and, and the voice of God, you know, Walter Cronkite, Cronkite to uh, Peter Mansbridge, you know, like I am objective, I am your grandfather and, you know, uh, that authority nobody buys anymore. But so, and, you know, you're going to make mis- – and, you know, I also knew that I'm going to do my best to do my due diligence on these stories, but I'm working alone here and there are going to be times when I'm going to have to apologize for things that get said on the show and for mistakes that I make. And uh, it's a big mistake to, to put yourself up on a pedestal of, you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, from God's mouth to, you know, uh, however I don't that. respond to that anymore. Yeah, there, so, there was a time when that was. So uh, all of which is a roundabout way of saying um, authenticity over authority. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that kind of uh, prizing the what, what what was authentic and trying to, you know, how do you manufacture authenticity? All you can do is kind of create a space for it and hope that it happens. Right. I, we should probably wrap up soon, but but just to wrap up, um, I mean, what's what's coming coming next for Canada Land and for you? Is it is it is it a sustainable business that you're going to keep growing? Uh, are, are you are you doing other things on the side? What's um, what's coming up for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing some other stuff on the side, but less and less. And it's not like I full throttle enough for it to be like, yes, it's everything is great and it's it'll go on forever. Um, it's an experiment, and it's uh, you know the, the jury is out as to what like uh, you know I, I'm open to all of the different ways that people turn podcasts into businesses. I have no idea <laughs> what the sustainability will be, but I do know that the audience gets bigger every week and people wanting to work with me on it and we're going to build up the blog and people should check out CanadaLandShow.com because I think it's necessary to have content there regularly throughout the week that's not just the audio podcast and that'll be a way of, of generating more uh, more listeners. And I, I just think like if you're doing something that nobody else is doing and more and more people every week are into it, uh, you know, if you build it, you know, they will come like it, 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 there, there will be a way for that to be, you know, like if you forecast that down the road uh, a year or two um, and what the numbers suggested by the, the growth now, what that will be. It's like uh, I'm willing to kind of, you know, float it and, um, um, you know, keep it going. And, and uh, I think I've made a commitment to the audience to deliver it. And uh, I just want to just. Keep going and see see where it takes me, and, and and try to get as many people engaged with it and active in it because it's uh, it's uh, incredible to me to see not just audience reaction, but like uh, young people in the field are coming to me and like wanting to get involved in because they you know uh, they, uh, they they need something like this you know and I think that any profession needs this and it's a profession where new entrants are getting really marginalized and squeezed. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know, that's one reason of many why I just feel like a, a sense of commitment that, like, I'm going to find a way to keep it going. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely a worthwhile endeavor because uh, it's, Thank a, you. it's a great show and, and people should check it out. So, yeah, thanks for uh, spending some time with us, Jesse. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for the interest. Another big thanks to Jesse Brown for talking to us today. Jesse's show, Canada Land, can be found at canadalandshow.com. This has been Sound Sausage, a project of the Canadian Sound and Story Workshop. 
You can find all kinds of great resources and connect with other audio producers at soundstory.ca. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a nice review in iTunes. If you don't like the show, just keep it to yourself. Thanks for listening.